mouth. Can we just worship that name for a little bit? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I praise your name, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Your precious name, God, that covers everything, God. Your precious anointing, Jesus. There's no sweeter name in my life, Lord. There's no name above any other name, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. You are the most high. I worship your precious name, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. There's an anointing in this place today. And if if you need something from God, all you have to do is reach out to him and just give him everything you have. And he's just going to bless you abundantly in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful to be here today. I know I've already said that, but just continuously, I'm, I'm always so thankful to be here today. If you haven't figured it out, I'm the one following pastor. (laughs) And we'll just, we'll go right into it pretty quick. You're going to have to um, forgive me today if I uh, seem like I have issues. My asthma is acting up, (laughs) y'all. So just uh, preach with me and it'll be okay. So, get myself together here. We're going to start with 2 Kings 5. There's going to be a few scriptures, 1 to 14. And I always want to give honor to pastor because he's he's just amazing, y'all. We have the best pastor in all the land. (laughs) Not just because he's my father-in-law. Don't mind my Kleenex box either. All right, 2 Kings 5. I didn't even get it up myself. <laughs> Second Kings 5, 1 to 14. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of, of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 10,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God? to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpah, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. We can go ahead and pray and y'all can be seated. Lord, we're here to magnify you today, God. I pray that your anointing would just be in this place, Jesus, that my tongue and my mind would be anointed, God, and that you would just open our hearts, our minds, Jesus, our ears to receive what you have in this place, Lord. And we're gonna give you all the praise and all the glory for it, Jesus. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you clap your hands as you're seated? So I can take some water. (laughs) I'm going to talk today, um, talk, speak, preach, whatever you might have it as. Um, I titled this Desperate for Something. So some of you, most of you might remember, I don't know, the story from back in 2010, 33 miners who got stuck in Chile, who got stuck in a mine. If you don't remember or haven't heard, let me summarize. <laughs> These people got stuck in a mine. <laughs> no. On August 5th, 2010, there was a cave-in at the San Jose Gold and Copper Mine, trapping 33 miners and some subcontractors with no way out. Word uh, spread pretty quickly about it, and it was all over the world. They were in like all the newspapers. Social media wasn't exactly what it was at the time, but it was there. One newspaper gave them a 2% chance of being rescued, of surviving. Reading recounts that have been made since then The miners have talked about, spoiler alert, they were all rescued. (laughs) But the miners have talked about how, especially those first few days, they, while they were trapped, not knowing if anybody could even get to them, if they were gonna survive, they started thinking about their lives, um, their family and their friends, what had been truly important to them, you know, up until this time. And amongst the men, there was a man named Jose Henriquez, And most of the men knew that he was a man of God. And they started asking him to help them pray. And during all this, they began holding a prayer service every day at noon and 6 p.m. down in this mine, down in this shaft that they were stuck in. Even before they could get lights down there, they were trying to conserve what they had. Eventually, they got like a hole funneled where they could get 
resources to them, but um, even if it was dark, they would gather together and they would pray, and more and more men would start to come each day, um, even those who didn't really know God or didn't believe in God or things. They began to pray, help asking, you know, please let us survive this. Please help us get rescued. And they would begin to sing worship songs. And if you know the story, 69 days after the cave-in, they were all 33 rescued. Marion Webster's Dictionary describes being desperate as being moved by despair or utter loss of hope, involving or employing extreme measures in an attempt to escape defeat or frustration. Now, I'm pretty sure the miners have probably, especially in the beginning, felt like they didn't really have much hope, like they weren't gonna make it out. They were desperate to survive. They were desperate to make it out. There's something about desperate moments that tend to make us make time that we didn't think we had before or to do things we wouldn't normally do. Just like the definition said, we employ extreme measures in an attempt to escape defeat or frustration. For some of the miners, even praying might have been an extreme measure for them, but they were desperate. They were in a desperate place and wanted to survive. We often want to do things in a very composed way, a very structured way. We get up, we do this, we do that, we do this, this, but we don't want to be desperate. It's not, it's not a good thing to need to be desperate. If somebody told you that they didn't love you anyone or, or anymore, or you feel alone, or a big medical issue happens in your life, you lose someone you love, our emotions falter and are affecting us, you don't want to be desperate, but these types of things put us in a desperate place. But there's something about desperation that opens us up to the power and presence of God like nothing else can. It can be a gift, but it's typically one that nobody wants, but you can end up needing. When you're in a dark place, when you're in a desperate place, God can give you himself in a way that he's never given before. When you're alone in that space, you can discover that you have an opportunity to discover God's presence in a way you've never known, because possibly you've never needed him the way that you need him when you're in that place. Maybe you've never been in such a hard place before, or nothing's just ever compared to what you're going through. It's not that you've never needed God before, but maybe there's just something different about this one that makes this a desperate moment. In your fear, you can discover his peace that passes all understanding. In your weakness, you can discover that his strength is with you. He will be your strength when you're weak. So if we go back to our scripture, we're going to kind of walk through this, through this story with Naaman. So Naaman, he's a, he's a great man. He's a known man. He's the general of the king's army in Syria. He's the commander of the commanders, strong man, wealthy, mighty, powerful, but the verse says he had leprosy. Now, I don't know when he got, when he got it. Maybe he was just 
getting ready for the day one time or he was finishing up for the day, notices a patch on his arm. Um, Maybe he doesn't think anything of it. Maybe he does. I don't know back then, you know, you see a patch, you automatically know. I'm not sure. Maybe he started to get more. Eventually, he realizes he has leprosy, says he's a leper. There's nothing he can do about it. It's treatable now, thank the Lord, but back then it was pretty much a death sentence. Even with all his wealth, with all his power, there was nothing he could do about it. And I'm sure that he started to feel a little desperate. He knows there's an issue. He understands there's a problem, but he can't do anything about a solution. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life, probably. If not, I'm sure maybe eventually you will. I have. But you have a need in your life. You realize there's a need, but you realize it's something that you can't control. You personally cannot fix it. And you can start to feel a little bit helpless. You can start to feel a little bit desperate, just like the definition states. Maybe your hope is starting to waver a little bit because you can usually fix everything. Maybe you're a Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It or you just like to be in control, whatever it is. All of a sudden, something hits us that we can't actually fix. And we often don't want to admit that we need help. Or maybe we feel ashamed that we can't fix it ourselves for some reason. Or you're just angry. I imagine that this is where Naaman was. He's frustrated. He's annoyed. He's angry that he can't fix this diagnosis despite all the resources he has. And it says that Naaman had a slave in his house, a young girl who served his wife. They don't say her name, but it says that she was captured during a raid brought out of Israel, and now worked in the man's house who was responsible for it. Not really the best situation for her, but she loves God. She's one of his people. I mean, I don't think that a lot of us would have been really upset if maybe she just sat in her corner and did her thing, did what she had to do to get through the day, didn't really talk to Naaman unless she had to, but because She was a child of God because she loved God. She said to Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. This can be a lesson in of itself that you can take away from this. She's captured. She's taken out of her home and her land, and now she's in the house of who was responsible a man who doesn't love God, who doesn't believe in him, and yet she still speaks up and mentions that Naaman should see the prophet in Samaria, who was Elijah. Now, is is Naaman desperate enough to listen to a slave girl in his house who believes in a God that he doesn't follow and is from a country he just got done overtaking? You know what? I think he, he probably was. He was getting just a little bit more desperate. All these resources he's looking from, nothing's working yet. So he begins to be open to receive counsel from others, no matter who it is. And it was godly counsel at that. The girl who spoke up and into the situation, she was brave and she had the courage to speak up. She saw his desperation and she took that opportunity to speak up about God and how she knew 
of a way for him to be healed. Brother Andrew and I went to a youth rally Friday night, and the speaker, Brother Dylan Jordan, he mentioned this, and Pastor even kind of mentioned it this morning, um, kind of something that I thought of here. We're all from different groups. Of, we all have different groups of people that we can reach. My personality is not like Andrew's. I don't work with who you work with. I definitely don't go to school with anybody who goes to any school because I don't go to school anymore. <laughs> I, don't ha- I don't have the same reach that Brother Andrew has, that Sister Allison has, whatever it is. I don't have that same reach that you do. But all of that allows us to have more reached people outside of these four walls. And you might be able to see that someone that you hang out with each day or that you work with each day is starting to get a little desperate about something in their lives, maybe a situation that they have confided within you or something that you just see is going on. They're more stressed. You can begin to input God's love and what he can do for them. He wants to use you. And even if it's somebody that you've already tried to reach, maybe, Naaman knew, he, he knew about this God that Israel served. But it wasn't until he got a little bit more desperate that he was open to hearing about this prophet, Elijah. Someone in your life who you, maybe you've talked to before, they might not be open until they're desperate and they're looking for something. And that answer can be God. And even if you're in a desperate situation yourself, eventually you might reach a place where you understand that you should stop listening to your own thoughts about how you think you should be able to fix yourself. You get to a point where you have to put all your pride aside and seek the counsel of others, godly counsel of others. We've all been, or maybe you're in right now, desperate need of God's help. So going back to Naaman, he goes to his king, he, that he's, you know, he's right next to his king. He goes to him, has him write a letter to the king of Israel saying, you must cure this man, Naaman, when he comes to you. Okay, so he sends the letter. The king of Israel starts getting worried. He's like, I can't cure you. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do for you. And he thinks that Naaman's probably going to come kill him. But Elijah, the prophet, hears this tells him, send him to my house. So Naaman has this whole entourage he brought with him. He's got a whole group of people. He goes to Elijah's house to ask for help. He's starting to get even a little more desperate. He's willing to ask for help. Different than just acknowledging that he needed help. He actually went and asked for it. We don't typically like to ask for help. Maybe some of you do, and that's great, but it seems like it just goes against our flesh sometimes. Like, uh, you know, oh, I need this thing fixed. Well, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. That's not true for me. (laughs) I can't fix almost anything by myself. (laughs) But so often, that can end up being exactly why we turmoil over things or we get overwhelmed simply because we didn't ask for help. It's not that nobody would help you, but maybe they just don't even know that you're going through something, that you need help. I, uh, I've come to find out, I'll raise my hand and say I'm guilty of that, not always asking for help. I've found out that I like to have some control over whatever's going on. 
I don't know if I would call myself a control freak. If you think so, we can we can just move on. <laughs> but it can be hard for me to ask for help. Say, hey, I've got a lot going on. Can you take this or help me out with this thing? You know, and it can depend what it is for me. I'm sure it can depend what it is for you. Maybe you know you're not good at asking for help for cleaning or. You find it hard to ask for help dealing with even like emotional stress that you have going on. It can be anything. But once you acknowledge you need help, you want to talk about it, you need to do something about it, you need to ask for it. The person's not going to know. I mean, they might see some signs of things like, you know, if you're super close with somebody, they're not acting right. You might know to ask. But for the most part, people aren't going to, they're not just going to read your mind. You need to ask for help. And it's the same with God. God's not going to force himself into our lives. He doesn't force us to love him. It wouldn't be true love if we were forced. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to truly love him. He wants us to have a real relationship with him, but it takes calling on his name. And when you get in desperate moments, it takes asking him for help. I think I've talked before, probably, about how my yard is cursed. (laughs) If I haven't, maybe you've just heard me other places. If you want to know, come talk to me. Don't come mow my yard, though, because your mower will break. But (laughs) I'm telling you, for some reason, I just have terrible luck with lawnmowers, or we just don't know how to take care of them. I don't know. I like to mow. I like to take care, like, do stuff outside. So I do a lot of mowing, but I just, I'm telling you, I have a terrible time with them. But so like a month ago or so, I, my days are running together real bad lately. But like a month or so ago, I was literally mowing. I was going and all of a sudden my self-propelled part stopped working. And oh my gosh, I almost lost it. I probably did lose it, but thankfully nobody was around. I was just so mad and I could not figure out what was wrong. I told Zachary, we're getting a new lawnmower next year and I just might take a baseball bat to this one (laughs) because it just puts me over the edge, y'all. If you've never seen me mad, just give me a broken mower. (laughs) You'll see me get mad. But I was, like, trying to look at it. I was like, okay, did I run something over? Is something stuck? Like, like, I can do this myself. No, I had no idea. I couldn't figure out what was wrong at all. All I did was, like, clean it and hit it and move stuff and... That was it. I was frustrated, okay? I'm telling, and it just adds on to it that I've had so much trouble with all the mowers I've had. But so anyways, so Zachary was actually with Pastor. They came home, looked at it. My belt broke. I was like, oh, my goodness. But the mower still worked. I just had to push it. And it was something that could be fixed. I was still frustrated, but I was relieved. It's something that can be fixed. But... A lot of the time, the moment we become willing to ask for help is the moment our situation changes. How long will you let things go before you realize you need to ask for help? 
How long will you let, you know, different situations? How long will you let your marriage go on in tension before you ask for help? How long will your addiction go on uh, and affect you and those around you before you ask for help? It's so on and so forth. There's so many things. How long are you going to keep, you know, some secret that you're so worried about people finding out that you don't talk about this or that just because you think people are going to look at you different, but it's tearing you up on the inside. How long will you go before you ask for help? Because it's leprosy and it's spreading. And I'm, I'm not going to be too much longer. Uh, Sister Allison, if you want to come. I probably didn't even get you, give you a lot of time. but So when will your desperation outweigh your need to keep up appearances? People here, here in this place, want to help you. I'm sure you might, you might have other people, you know, I have people back home with my mom and dad, whatever it is. I'm sure you have other people, but we all know what it's like. If you haven't needed help before, I'm sure you're going to. God wants to help you. He wants to give you peace and strength. Naaman expected this huge to-do. He expected this big show. He wanted Elijah to personally come out and call on his God and wave his hand over him and he would just be clean. Or he wanted to pay a ton of money. He brought all this money, all these people, because he was going to earn it. He was going to earn the healing. But Elijah didn't even come out. He sent a messenger, tell him to dip in the river seven times. Naaman became furious, and he was about to leave. He was like, I don't need that. That's, that's so simple. Elijah didn't even come out. What, I am better than that. And his servants simply said, it's a pretty easy thing, though. It's not just go down there and dip seven times. Why wouldn't you do it? So we saw in the scripture that Naaman went and dipped seven times. He came out clean. How desperate are you to be clean? Naaman finally got to the point where he was so desperate. He was so desperate to be healed, to be whole, that he decided, I have to obey the man of God. It doesn't matter how simple it seemed, even if it doesn't make sense, or if you think it's too simple, or if the instructions you think, I'm not able to do that. Even if we don't understand, are you just willing to do what God asks? Because if you're desperate, if you are in a desperate, dark place, why would you not do what God asks? What will make you desperate enough? What has to happen to make you desperate enough to follow God, to do what God says, to obey him? Naaman became exposed at the river when everyone, his whole entourage that was with him, saw him take off. He had all these fancy clothes on, this whole getup, because he, he was a strong man. He was a wealthy man, but he had to strip all of that down to go dip in the river. And they all saw that he was just a man. He wasn't the wealthy man at that time. He wasn't the all-powerful man. He wasn't the commander then. He was a humbled man. But when he dipped in the river and was humbled, he was a humbled man, but he was desperate. And that is where God met him. In his worst moment of his life, he began to believe in God. And I would just implore you to think about it. If you all wanna stand.
I just want you to think about today, how desperate does your situation have to become for you to be obedient to God and ask for his help? To just ask for his peace, his understanding, his strength, his mercy. He's right here. He's right here. He's at this altar. He's with you right now. He's gonna be with you when you go home. But all you have to do is ask, how desperate does your situation have to look like? When you're truly desperate, you will cross all kinds of things. You'll cross oceans, you'll climb mountains, you'll do things that you never thought you would do. Just like the definition said, you're gonna do extreme measures to escape defeat and frustration. And our God is the God of victory. He does not want us to be defeated. When we're desperate, we need to be desperate for the will of God, or we're gonna be desperate for other things. The things that make us desperate might vary from person to person. What makes me desperate might not make you desperate. What you're going through, you might not think is that bad. But if you get in a storm, if you're in a storm right now, you don't know which way is up, which way is down. You feel like you're constantly spinning. Your emotions are just on this roller coaster going up and down and taking these sharp turns that you were never expecting and you just wanna get off. You have to get desperate. If all you can do is cry out, Jesus, then do it. God hears us no matter what. But if you get to a point where you feel desperate, you feel like there's just nothing left. Pastor was talking about it this morning as he said it, said that aligns so good with what I have. He was saying that you're just going through the day to day. When I was praying for this, I felt such an emptiness for some reason. You just feel like every day is the same. You do this, you do that, you go through the motions, you have dinner, you go to sleep. Okay, awesome, another day of nothingness. Just like Brother Adam said last week, you've just decided, okay, this is life. This is all there is to it. It doesn't change. When we're going through storms in life, no matter what they are, whether you've got a million things going wrong or you're simply tired, you're just tired of the day-to-day -day and feeling like you're not doing anything, these are the times that we have to decide to turn towards God. Because if you get desperate enough, you're gonna turn to something for answers, for relief, for escape from the storm in your life, in your mind, in your spiritual walk with God. And the things of this world just do not provide the peace and the answers that so many are so desperately looking for because desperate people go to desperate measures. And I'll open this altar today. If you have something in your life that maybe you feel like is making you desperate, that you just don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you feel like you've been on that roller coaster, I implore you to come down and cry out to God. And even if for some reason, if you don't feel like you're in a desperate place today, it's not like every day is a desperate place, but even if you just wanna come and be renewed, that's what this is for. But if you're desperate, this is the place to be. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I feel such, I feel such your anointing in this place, God. Hallelujah, Jesus, just have your way over this place, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.